Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Class Action is a production of iHeartRadio and Sound Argument. To give you a little background on South Dakota geography, you have what you call about two urban areas. Sioux Falls, you've been to Sioux Falls. That's the big city. It's a small city or a big town, but it's the big urban area of South Dakota. That's where about a quarter of the population is. And then out west, you have Rapid City. That's about 80,000 people. I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota. It was nice. It was pretty relaxed. Not a lot went on, so I don't mean to make it sound like it was boring, but it was definitely very, yeah, just very relaxed. My dad is the general manager for RDO Equipment, which is a John Deere dealership, and my mom drives school buses for the Rapid City school system. But she's done a ton of stuff throughout her life. I grew up in a family of five, my mom and my dad, and I have an older sister who's 30 and a younger brother who just turned 22. I'm the oldest of nine children. So I have eight younger siblings and I've always had this role model slash lookout for them. And I wanna make sure that they're okay in life and that they're doing the right things. So by being a lawyer, I can apply that to other people. I can look out for other people. But the cultural divide in South Dakota is like East River, West River. That's more ranching out there. So you see more like cowboy hats and that kind of stuff. Where here it's more farming. So it's a little bit different culture. I mean, where I'm from, it's considered one of the big towns. You got about, you know, seven, eight towns within that 15 to 20,000. And then every place else is pretty rural. I'm a listener as opposed to being the first to speak. I think people talk too much sometimes, and I think we miss a lot of stuff when we're talking, so I'd kind of rather listen and take everything in and then then add in an opinion. I'm a first-generation lawyer, so no one in my family has gone to law school, so this has been a fun kind of new adventure for all of us, I guess. I'm also Catholic, 
and I am really involved in my faith. I think it's important to do that work through the criminal justice system. And also, I'm Native American, and here in South Dakota, there's a lot of issues, especially on the western side of the state, with Native Americans and their treatment over the years and their problems that they struggle with. My parents had to see a bankruptcy lawyer at one point and ultimately saved their house. So that's something that really stuck with me when I was pretty young. So I started working when I was, as soon as I could apply for a work license in Iowa. I started off by detasseling corn. I did that every summer until I was old enough to get an actual job. And you got Vermilion here, it's about 10,000 people, but well, Vermillion, it's pretty much just a college town. I think the population doubles when the college gets here, so. I went to undergrad at the University of South Dakota, so by the time all is said and done, I'll have spent seven years in this town and on this campus. And I can't tell you how much I'm dreading leaving Vermillion. It has truly become home. I mean, South Dakota culture in general, people are nice, they're reserved. You don't see a ton of characters or big, colorful personalities like you do in the city. Yeah, they're very conservative people. Don't have the most open-minded worldview generally because it's a small state. You, you're not around a lot, but I think people have uh, good intentions here. They're good people. I mean, nobody's really going to spit in your face or slam the door on you. We are the state's law school. Laura Rose the feisty University of South Dakota coach, has already uploaded the fact pattern to her entire team. There was a quote that my dad used to use at Stetson when he was running their program. He used to tell people that, when I send you out to a competition, I am putting the reputation of my school in your hands. If you drop the reputation of my school, I will cut your hands off. Now, he can get away with that because he's a 22-year military veteran. Law school mock trial season, it's like a hurricane, and it's fast approaching. Here's the deal. I'm not going to cut your hands off, but we're going to have to talk. Tryouts are over. The team is handpicked. Classes are already in full swing. The law school grind, it's on. But you're in a competition setting. There is no time to be Midwest nice. I love South Dakota nice and Midwest nice. One of my favorite things about this area of the country is how polite people are and how much people care about other people. But you know where it doesn't have a place in a courtroom. We're here to argue. We're here to argue about facts. You are not my friend. You're not my enemy. I don't have to cut your throat precisely most of the time. Dozens of schools around the country are preparing for the fall invitational tournaments, where second and third year law students get a chance to compete before the big national competitions start in the spring. But I do have to make sure that you're following through with what it is that I need done. And I do have to make sure that you're complying with the rules. And I do have to make sure that I am not in an attempt to be kind and to be polite actually giving away points of argumentation. I'm Katie Fang, and this is Class Action. Episode three, Mob Hits and the H-E-B. Tyler, you look confused, what's up? It's 8 a.m. and everyone is working together to build an airtight case. Picture an old-fashioned barn raising on the prairie. Only this barn is cobbled together with arguments and legal strategy. 
Nick, he owed him $200,000. Nick's a bad guy, he's a drug user. A lot of problems. You can attack his credibility, and then you also got the bartender who's a good witness. He's lost, doing a very credible kid. <laughs> and he was saying Tommy is peaceful. Tommy's a very peaceful Tommy's guy, peaceful. and he's generous. Ooh, three L's. You all made faces when he said the word peaceful. Why did we make faces, Justin? If you say peaceful in your opening, what have you done? Uh, you've opened the door to character to evidence. To character evidence. But you don't know yet because you're a baby 2L, right? If you get a criminal fact pattern, there is an instinctive desire to start to humanize your client, which you can do, but you gotta watch the adjectives because if I say he's peaceful and if there's any evidence that he's not, what am I doing? I am giving the state attorney the moment. I am giving Braden the moment to get up and go, hey, you just said that you love peace and love and all happiness. You were in the freaking mob. You were, you, you were doing this, right? You were with these people, you were doing this. You're giving the opportunity to pounce. He said he would never kill somebody. Ooh. He had to beat some people up because he was that's the business he was in. But. So he's, he's not going to go full wise guy. He's not going to be a made man. He's not going to burn the card of the saint in his hands. Case file. Commonwealth versus Santa Suso. A mock trial case torn out of the script of a grisly mafia murder story. It's a movie plot and one you may be familiar with. I've always wanted to do a mob case, and there's not really been ever been one that's done at any level of mock trial. My name is Phil Pascarello. I'm the trial competition director at the Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law and the tournament director for the Battle of the Experts. So the Battle of the Experts is a national mock trial competition uh, where 16 law schools compete to be the uh, national champion of the Battle of the Experts. So this year's case is loosely based on the plot of Goodfellas. Change the, the names of the characters, and, and the story is slightly different than what you'd see in the movie for lots of reasons. I hope, knock on wood, we're, we're in the clear there. I think Marty's got bigger things to do than, than, than read our case file, but I hope he reads it. That'd be excellent. There's a classic scene where the character played by Joe Pesci is insulted in a bar, and he and the character played by Ray Liotta kill that person, kill that character. Uh, the character's name is Billy Batts. It's still my favorite mob movie for sure. I, nothing has come close. My name is Ellie Honig. I spent 14 years as a prosecutor. But yes, I spent most of my career in the Southern District of New York indicting, prosecuting, and trying real-life New York City mobsters. That is a great murder scenario for a mock trial because it's not your obvious premeditated murder. That was not supposed to happen. When they're done beating him to death, I think the... De Niro character sort of says to the Pesci character, what'd you do? I think that's a great scenario because then you have to argue things like intent and premeditation and what degree of murder are we in here? Is it manslaughter? Is it murder? So that's a good scenario because I think there are arguments to be made, but you're getting into trickier issues that would be argued at a real trial. The purpose of mock trial, I think, is to get kids interested in this, to get students wanting to do this in their future careers. And if you're, what are you going to do? Try some boring fraud case that's based on tax law and accounting? No. Give them an interesting case. Give them an exciting case. Give them something out of a movie. And that'll spark their interest. Laura Rose has handpicked four of her top students to argue this case. Bailey Moravec and Justin Peterwright will defend Tommy Santasuso. What happens is this guy, William Caffiero, we call him Billy, 
Billy goes to a bar, he gets out of jail, and uh, he kind of needs to reestablish his boss presence. And Tommy Santasuso and Nick Patrick arrive. Everyone knows each other, but Tommy's trying to get out of the mafia. He's still in the mafia, but Tommy just wants to be respected because who doesn't want to be? Braden Hodek and Bill Murray, not that Bill Murray, will prosecute Tommy. When I first read this fact pattern, for example, I thought the state slightly had the edge. And then I kept reading it, and then I thought the defense was going to blow us out of the water. And then I kept reading it, and then I realized maybe the state actually has the better case. And so when Billy starts shoving it in his face that he used to be a chauffeur, Tommy gets mad. They start a brawl. And uh, after this bar fight, then, it's only Nick and Billy. And that's all we really know from there. That's what we know for sure. They walk out of the bar together and you know that Billy's dead. It's just kind of always work in progress. It's important never to get too in love with a certain theme or theory because you can always think of something that completely derails everything that you just built. The rest of the team is spread out in the peanut gallery of the law school's practice court, firing pot shots at the new case. As she's going through it, Does it make sense? Does it make sense with what you've read? And what questions is it leaving you with as you're hearing it for the first time? Tell me what you're thinking about. So I I texted Bailey this as well, but it probably goes both ways. The knife is under the assumption that it's the mother's knife, a knife that she regularly uses. So where's her prints? On the other flip side, though, the prosecution say the knife is wiped. There is no prints now because they're trying to cover it up. Did you have that? This might be a stretch, but I was going to say, who's to say that when he left the bar the first time, he didn't take Nikki's car? If his car is parked there, but further away, he could have taken Nikki's car. Or, I don't remember what I was thinking. Wait, Matt, Brayden, go ahead. He he still didn't go back to the bar, which is where Tommy's car would have been. So even if you were to have taken him back to his car and not home, the cell phone records still don't There's show not that. I can't say it's comfortable. It's definitely not comfortable. You put a lot of work into your theory in your case, and then it's easy to kind of get upset when someone tries to poke holes in it. Though it's a team sport, it can quickly feel very personal. So, Laura, during boot camp, it looks as if you're taking all of the students that you're working with and you're having them hive mind this problem that they've been presented with. Can you kind of walk us through that method and that procedure and why you think it's effective to be able to give them a foundation to work from? The reason for the hive mind with the Battle of the Experts fact pattern in particular came about for a few reasons. Number one, it's a great way to knock the rust off from the summer. It's a great way to get started and get going and get everybody back to thinking about those things. Number two, it's a great way for the students that are so deeply entrenched with the fact pattern to realize, hey, the thing that you thought was very clear isn't clear from your presentation. That inference that you thought was so obvious isn't actually as obvious as you want to make it be. Tyler. Is it a good idea, because I'm just thinking about this, and like what Matt's really saying here is, if you can say that he was here for these parts and say, are there some fuzzy inconsistencies? Yes. 
But remember, he's he's not a saint. He's a drug addict and drug dealer. Was he high on heroin when he was doing this? I don't know, but could, you know, is there enough to say, yeah, there's some inconsistencies, but do we think he did it? You're a reasonable members of the jury. I'd say yes. And then just kind of blur so out. So is it a combination of a confidence builder, an icebreaker, a substantive dive into the law and the evidence and the rules of procedure kind of all in one? Yeah, it's, it's everything. It's a kitchen sink kind of approach. It's trial. And that's why it's wonderful, because you have to deal with the facts, the law, the rules. But Tommy, on the other hand, he's smart. He's methodical. He knows what he's doing. But it's kind of ironic that our star witness has all the things that make him look like the bad guy. In San Antonio, Jasmine Olguin has finally managed to stream Martin Scorsese's mob classic, Goodfellas, one of my favorites. Anyway, her St. Mary's University teammates, Andy Vizcarra and Cole Davila, they feel like it's their legal obligation to break down the plot. Yeah, in this movie, Tommy did. Like, after did he? Did it. Yeah, but in the movie, even yeah, in the movie, I was like, like, <laughs> I was like, I saw that was scene, I was like, oh, so Tommy did it. Tommy did uh, it. Tommy did it. He did it. And then somebody <laughs> came up and shot him, too. I know. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 that didn't happen. Not in our story. <laughs> They're adding a third person up in this joint. There you go. I killed Billy. Yeah, yeah. like when he walks in, he doesn't see anybody there. That's a good movie. Jimmy deserved better. I'm just uh, I'm going to pretend Jimmy saw me tomorrow and like, die for this man. <laughs> she really went. That's not very professional. Uh, OK. <laughs> Jury, members of the jury. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm gonna start, but I'm just trying to really think about this. No, you're good. Get on this vibe. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to kill... Let me start that again. I'm sorry. That sounded weird. I'm going to kill this bastard. I'm going to kill you, you fake tough guy. Those were the last words that the defendant told Billy Cafiero the night that he was murdered. It's a dark night in Siena, Pennsylvania. And while walking on the street, you see a bar to the right. It's called the Bamboo Lounge. And from afar, you think it's just a mom-and-pop little bar, something quiet. But inside, inside that bar is a whole nother story. Inside that bar, it's another world of people. They have a code. Violence, drugs, money, and family above all. Breaking that code means breaking that code can cost you your life. They make money from prostitution, loan sharking, theft, and extortion. Now these families have a hierarchy. It goes boss, underboss, conciliere, capos, associates, and soldiers. And these are the types of people that you will find in the bamboo lounge. When you walk inside, the first person- So I really like the story. That's Jason Goss. He's a St. Mary's grad and a trial team legend. Jason tried cases for the Bear County DA's office, but then he left to join his old boss and take up for the defense. Now, when you got towards the end, you just started basically reading it. It was like, blah, 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 da, 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 something's never changed. In whatever spare time Jason manages to get, he and his wife Maritza, who's expecting their first baby, coach the battle team. Sorry, I felt like it was too long and I was boring you guys. It is too long, Mm -hmm. but... The, the only reason is, and the reason why it felt that way, is because you basically, you did something that's, it's kind of rare in mock trial. You, you wove all what the witnesses were going to say into the story, mm-hmm. which is cool. But, you know, one of the things I noticed was, is you're talking about grab, you know, you had the knife, you stabbed once, you stabbed twice, three times. You need to talk about it like that, right? Like, he got the knife, he stabbed him once, he stabbed him twice, he stabbed him three times, nine inches deep right into his heart, something like that. It, it, drama, add a little bit. I like it, keep going. Mm-hmm. I'm Jasmine Olguin and I'm a 3L. Uh, not doing too well today. Uh, <laughs> we uh, have cold brew just running through my veins right now. 
probably gonna get like two to three hours of sleep. I already told Andy, you know, she sees me tomorrow. She didn't see me because <laughs> first two weeks I was dressing up nice and tomorrow it's it's gonna be bad and I'm working on top of this and I think that's what's killing me because I don't have that extra free time. So Yeah, I don't know how Jasmine's living right now. I got a sabbatical from my job because I physically could not <laughs> do everything. So she's not human. She's not real, but... But my job keeps me sane. Like, when I'm there, I love it. I'm not worried about anything. I'm like, I'm here. It's just, I wish there was more time in the week. So, Laura, when you perceive from some of the students, the ones that maybe you predict are going to have a struggle, after a law school, do you pivot a little bit and maybe give a little bit more of yourself, maybe a little bit more mentoring, maybe a little bit more individualized attention to maybe get them more prepared for what the real world, quote unquote, is going to be like? I try to do that with all of my students, in all honesty, and it's one of the things that I'm really fortunate with being here at South Dakota because I, I have the number of students that I interact with. I'm very closely involved with all of my trial team members, and I get to do that individualized attention that you're talking about. But you can always pick out those one or two where it's like, hey, you're going to need a little bit of extra coaching or a little bit of extra support. My office is a safe space for you. One of the biggest obstacles that I see in a lot of my you know, friends at school and in myself is that imposter syndrome that mm-hmm. most women have, where it's like, you don't realize that you are smart enough or think you have the best argument. And there's always kind of a push to be better without accepting that you're already good. Yeah. And that's been one of the hardest things to overcome in advocacy is knowing like, okay, my argument is good. My style is good. Now I just need to trust it, but make it better. And and that's the thing, right? And I, I will empathize with you on the imposter syndrome point and tell you it's not something that goes away. I've got it horribly bad. My, my friends love to laugh at me because every other week I'm like, the law school's going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job. And they're like, in what world? And I'm like, somebody's going to see through that I have clearly just faked it till I made it at this point. One of the things about being a female advocate that I found challenging until, well, still find challenging, but less challenging after working with you is I think the practice of law has had very, maybe kind of aggressive and straightforward and loud and boisterous and all of these kind of different qualities that you see in all the movies Mm -hmm. um, that lawyers portray. But being, you know, a female advocate, as you said, we have a different skill set. And in trial tech, I got a lot of comments about being too gentle or like motherly or I speak too soft or Mm -hmm. something. And it kind of leads you to a different skill set of how you take those kinds of things and then make them better in your advocacy and make them dangerous in a courtroom. And I think that's one of the coolest things that I see women advocates do is you kind of know where they're going, but you don't know how that final cut in the corner goes. Yeah, it's so sick. And here's the thing. I think that part of the reason that we've had to become that is because the idea that if you're aggressive as a woman, you're going to get labeled as a bitch. But number one, that's not necessarily true. The jury will give you leeway if the witness is being ridiculous. You know, the more unreasonable they get, the more reasonable that you get, unless you have to do the control. And then it shows the jury, I've got the range to go there. I'm choosing not to go there because I know I'm more effective when I take these different approaches. And that's not a bad thing. The, the thing that you get to figure out now is, is what your range truly is. You, you figured out a couple of octaves that you're comfortable singing in to make the analogy work, but you can expand out of that. We bring to the room our own biases, 
and beliefs. And if you don't understand that, when you're an attorney standing up and presenting to a jury that is going to decide the facts of your case, you will always lose. For trial team director, A.J. Belito de Luna, running a trial program means keeping track of several competition teams. The thing that has to be at the forefront of your mind, from beginning to end, trust me, they are watching every little thing that you are doing. Every little thing that you are doing. It means coaching up the younger lawyers in trial advocacy classes, but also looking out for promising rookies. Your Honor, opposing counsel, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, she couldn't escape. She wanted to leave, but she couldn't. He would not have it. So instead, he killed her. Rookies like Mariela Encinas, the second-year law student from Tucson who knocked it out of the park in boot camp. This is her first opening statement in what may prove to be a very promising legal career. October 14th, 2019, starts as a typical day for Detective Lavelle. He goes into the office, probably grabs some coffee, sits at his desk. When the phone rings, someone tells him that a body was found at the marsh. Unfortunately, in Detective Lavelle's line of work, this isn't uncommon. So he treats it just like any other homicide. He goes to the scene. He examines the scene. He examines the body, suspects foul play. And that's when it hits him. That's when he makes the connection. He realizes Molly didn't go missing just randomly three years ago. She didn't just run away from the defendant. The defendant killed her. Thank you. Great job, Mariela. This is assistant coach Stephen Lopez. Really love your presence and your poise up there. You're not moving around. You're very strong. You're very powerful. Your voice fills this entire room, which is awesome. Your theme that she couldn't escape, right? It's okay, right? It's not punchy. It's not really catchy. But I, I think the bigger problem with it is you didn't really use it. If that's your theory and that's your theme, then you got to play that through your whole opening. Uh, great job. I have something. Sure. I can see in your face disappointment. I can see it. Because you just got criticized pretty heavily. Yeah. And you don't like it. I mean, I, I take criticism well. It just like... It, but you I'm, don't like it? Yeah, it's, you know, you, you want to be perfect all the time, but it's just right. not a thing, so... So I want you to hear something. I sent him a text. What did that text say? I didn't read it. <laughs> My phone's off, sir. Read it out there. She is a champion in waiting. I see in your face where you're feeling failure. I see in your face where you're like, damn, I didn't do it right. I didn't meet the expectation. 
It's not good enough yet, but there's great stuff there. So don't get discouraged when you get these comments. We're never going to tell you that you're good enough until you're good enough. And you know when you're good enough? When you bring home a national championship like he did. Okay. <laughs> when we put your trophy in the trophy case, that's when we stop saying things to you. It's like, you, you tell me what we're going to do now. All right? that, that's when you're good enough. Yeah. So, great job. Now you can give her a call. Last week was probably my most stressful week so far. More and more things to do. And uh, as we get deeper into classes, it gets a little more uh, time consuming. Also, I was asked to practice with Coach Stewart and Coach Goss as a witness for their Battle of the Experts competition. So I was really excited when I got the email. It was AJ who emailed me. I was really excited. You know, he let me know that this means, you know, I'm doing well. He also told me, don't let this get to your head. You know, this isn't a golden ticket. It, you know, we're offering you this opportunity contingent on you doing well in trial ad um, and keeping up the work. It's definitely been a whirlwind of craziness. I haven't even finished my evidence class. <laughs> like, this is going to be very scary. I'm Cole Davila. I'm a thrill. I definitely feel a ton of pressure because I have experience. I should be better. In theory, I should be really good and should be able to not necessarily carry the team, but at least do a really good part. But because of that competitive nature, you always feel like you're not there. Uh, we had practice yesterday. That was a full sort of round. And I didn't think I did as well as I should have. I messed up some really basic stuff that I know better than to do. I missed certain cues for things. I missed objections, stuff that I shouldn't have screwed up. And we have you know, a couple weeks, two, three weeks to prepare. and hone that in so it, it definitely that pressure gets to you and there's a lot more pressure on it because all the leaders of the program are on this specific team so it, it makes you want to be better but it also it makes you really hard on yourself and does take a, a mental toll which is probably a good thing that law school's competitions don't go all year i have a meeting with my counselor later on today I haven't spoken to her in a long time, but and I've had to keep putting it off due to how busy I've been. But in general, it seems like everybody's noticed everyone's mental health is sort of collapsing far more than it was our 1-0 year. So I think people seem to be just generally worse off. And I think it's a mix of continuing pandemic, returning to classes, knowing that the bar is coming up, it started 1L year. Um, I mean, I saw counselors periodically in, in undergrad uh, dealing with stresses and some medical issues that threw me off. So I saw her, I saw her regularly, but since things have gotten worse, decided to pick it up a little bit again just to at least have a third party to be able to vent to. You know, talking to your friends is great, but if your friends are going through the same things you are, it does feel kind of weird to complain to them because they're not complaining to you. They get it. They know where everybody's at. They're dealing with the same stuff, but here you are complaining to them. It's just, it feels weird. Even though they don't mind, it just doesn't feel quite as effective and it's just off. So Ellie, what advice do you have to guard against the burnout that does happen in the business? Don't do mock trial. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm only half kidding. Look, 
When you're on trial, it's all consuming, real trial. There's just no way around that. It it devours your life. I will speak from my experience. You ignore your kids. You know, you don't take care of yourself in terms of what you eat and you sleep. And I think that mock trial, from what I've seen, can be similar on these kids and on these students. And I don't have an easy solution to that. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do mock trial and also keep up with their classes and their social activities and their other activities that they're trying to do at school. So God bless them. It wasn't for me. You know, if I had to give advice, I guess I would just try to say, don't let it invade your dreams. Try to put it in a box, put it to the side. And keep in mind, as as much as it can feel all-consuming and competitive, it is a mock trial and you don't have actual, you know, someone's actual liberty at stake or, or the family of a murder victim at stake. So take a breath, keep it in perspective, but God bless you for doing it. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Everything has its season. Everything has its time. Somewhere, there must be footage of a young Laura Rose on stage. I can't do any more than that because my voice is going to bother me too much. From the time that I was very small, I loved musical theater in particular. And I blame my parents for this because they took me to see Little Shop of Horrors when I was two. I fell in love with the storytelling element of that particular world. And like when dad was first in the military and when I was younger and we would drive everywhere, he would play musical soundtracks. And the storytelling aspect of that for me was everything. Part of my plan was I wanted to work for Children's Television Workshop. And so that's where I wanted to be. But I knew that if I couldn't make it work and I was going to become a financial burden to my parents at that point, I couldn't justify it in my own head. I graduated from college in May of 2009. I was two years behind when I should have been because my mom got sick before I went to school. She has MS, and I, I stayed home to help out with the family with that. I said, I can't. I can't do it as much as I want to, as much as I would have loved to go there. And so it was better to go with the practical thing, to have the thing that I knew could feed me, and then find a way for my creative love to become a part of that. And I got really lucky. I got really, really lucky and found a way to do it. The reason I was comfortable going to law school is I knew that the law school that I had chosen was the one that was going to make me an advocate, which, was me, which meant that I was going to get to take my talents and all these things that I'd spent time developing and use them for the betterment of other people. It's just not the way that I thought it would happen. I thought I would be in the courtroom trying cases all the time, and in reality, I'm much better suited to what I'm doing now, which is taking the next generation and saying, you go do it. If I am successful and get tenure here, I could stay here for the rest of my academic career. Uh, if I do that, I will know at the end of my career that for 30 plus years, I will have put out every single advocate that's come out of University of South Dakota Knudsen School of Law. So I will know that the evidentiary issues in courtrooms across the state are being handled in a way that's appropriate. I will know that the people who are advocating in courtrooms have been trained this way. And it's going to change the legal landscape here because it's desperately needed. The clock is ticking and Coach Rose needs to whip her team into shape for the battle of the experts. Good morning, good morning, good morning, gang. And for all of the competitions that are coming in the fall. Get your coffee, get your caffeine in, drink. Make sure that you're awake. We will get through today as quickly as we possibly can. Y'all know that I'm all about efficiency and making sure that we don't waste our time, and I know that you have other things that you've got to do. But today what we're going to be covering, we're going to talk about cross-examination, which is everybody in this room knows my absolute favorite thing that we end up doing in a courtroom because it's when you have the most control. So are we all clear about what we're doing this morning? Are we awake? Vaguely? Three L's. Let's go around the room. What's your favorite part about cross-examination, Justin? The thing I like about it the most is I feel like I'm in control. And no matter how hard they're trying to squirm out of things or if they're trying to be cute with me, it's a easy situation to flip that back on them. Matt, you've had trial tech. What's your favorite thing about Cross? The power. I like the power behind it. This is Matt Skinner, a future defense attorney and the team's best sniper. Be honest, man. Let's go for it. Come on, talk about it. Why do you like the power? What, what about that is good? I like the power and forever I've called it the oh shit moment. Like Ian said, you just lay these breadcrumbs and eventually it leads to this trap where the witness is like, oh shit, I'm stuck. I, I don't know what to do here. Yeah, I like the power of having control. <laughs> Basically, you, you know what's gonna happen, they don't, and eventually you're gonna lead that witness to do exactly what you want. I think one of the 
the most intimidating things that you can't really do on Zoom, but they call it working the well. So like your well is kind of right in front of the judge and the witness table here. Coach Rose teaches us how to walk your dog in the well. And when you have an unfriendly witness, when you start kind of cornering them on a point, you start walking towards them and you keep the eye contact. And as you keep asking questions, you keep taking more and more steps. And once you've kind of cracked them a major point, you just turn your back to them and walk away. But it's one of the most kind of powerful moments that you can have in a courtroom. You know when you go to the zoo and you turn your back to like all the monkeys and they get mad? Like that's kind of what walking the dog is like. And Hour after hour, Coach Rose puts her team through a crash course on trial techniques. So if you get somebody on the stand who says, well, Sally told me that Billy Bob told her, objection, Your Honor, hearsay within hearsay, may we approach? All in the service of building a stronger case for the battle of the experts' competition. Your Honor, under federal rules of evidence... And in the process, knocking the South Dakota nice out of her young lawyers on the team. Why is it unfairly prejudicial? Why is that the case? Explain it. Draw it for me in crayons if you freaking have to, but explain it. If it's egregious, if it touches upon a fundamental right, in particular, if we're in Battle of the Experts and Justin hears them say that the defendant for sure is going to say something, he's going to be up off of his chair having a heart attack, but he's going to make the objection and make sure that it's on the record. Because fundamental rights, constitutional issues, things that could get people into prison if we were in real life, you got to be mad about that and you got to be big mad. You've got to say that it's wrong and you've got to call it out for being wrong. When I was getting ready to do my first ever jury address as a prosecutor, I asked my supervisor, who had been doing it for a decade plus, I said, this is a stupid question, but what am I supposed to be tomorrow when I give this opening? And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. Like, what's the vibe? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to be tough guy or cool or what? And he said, look, as the prosecutor, your job is two things. To be clear and credible, and that's it. Leave the dramatics to the defense lawyer. Leave the pounding of the podium and the clever stories to the defense lawyer. That's not for you. Your job is to stand up in front of that jury, to be clear, they understand what your case is about, and to be credible. They believe you, they believe our evidence. That's it. I was once told, a friend of mine said, I figured out your style. I said, okay, what is it? He said, you're Jersey conversational. I'm from New Jersey. And I said, oh, I don't know that he meant it as a compliment. I think he meant it like I'm not super intellectual. But I said, perfect. That's great. That's what I want to be. Part of the beauty of our jury system is, I think people tend to think our jury system is mechanical or mathematical. But in fact, every judge instructs every jury, use your common sense. Use your good everyday common sense that you use every day out there. And it it can really resonate with the jury. And you say, why would this defendant take this action? Look, you all know, you're all human beings. You've all been in scenarios where someone has insulted you. You know how that maybe made you feel. Now, you didn't act on it, but he did. You know, you can use common sense type arguments like that. And and it's part of the beauty of our jury system. And it can be quite effective in advocacy. Back in San Antonio, the team piles into Andy's car. They're not searching for facts. They're hunting down snacks. Brain food for a tournament that will stretch over three marathon days. My grandmother calls it chibi. Chibi! It's better than el hemp. <laughs> My dad calls it hemp. Okay, so focus. We need energy drinks. 
I'm I, probably going to try to find that? Little, Okay. We need them for tomorrow because we're not gonna have time to go what get coffee in the morning. What kind of energy drinks? Like I'll probably get like the double shot espressos from Starbucks, like oh, like like a, like a pack of them. We also need like snacks water. because I have we need. Water bottles, but not a lot. Yeah, we need water bottle. Oh, Damn. way to hog all the water. So when I go home, this is what I miss the most. Yes, for sure. Okay, so Jasmine wants mocha. I want vanilla. I want I do the double shot ones. Or, I mean, there's triple shot, but I'll be bouncing off the freaking walls with that. These kept me alive my one all year. Yeah, the triple shot ones? Okay, we'll do it low. There you go. All right, I think that's it. I got snacks, we got drinks. You ready to go? Yeah. Let's roll you wanna out. give your opening right now? What? Here in front of everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you be? Do it! Just you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. There's no better way to get over your fear than just doing the red right and the yeah, get her on the intercom. Some things are too good to be true. For real or not? Yeah, get on the intercom. No, like, like you want me to do it now or not? No, I want you to do it at the hotel. Oh, okay. And get animated. I'm going to write on all the things and be like, get hyped. Coach Jason Goss is waiting at the hotel. So the way that, the way that it was described in the coaches meeting is not if you plan to use any character evidence of Tommy, if you plan to use any character evidence at all. What? For any witness. <laughs> My entire Nick Patrick cross. <laughs> right. The opening. So, well, so you know the idea is and what they were talking about. So Jason, how do you help these students just get over their nerves? <laughs> you know, what I always tell them is you're gonna you're gonna have it like it, it just it's there like I used to throw up before these things I always did and I don't now but I tell you what I mean I I tried 150 cases and I will still feel so nervous every time I do an opening or every time I do a, a cross examination so you know I, I, I don't really know how to tell them because it's kind of how they do it I'll tell you that tomorrow the first round we are going against University of Chicago Kent. Okay. So those are your advocates, those are your witnesses. You can give notice to any- My coach before me that was coaching this team before me, and I remember telling her like, these kids are, they're not ready. They don't know what they're doing. You know, like she said, it's, it's weird, but right when the competition starts, like whatever it is, all that stuff you've told them, it just kicks in and then they just go and they do it. Tomorrow, they're going to amaze and astonish. They're going to be great because they're going to take those nerves and whatever, and they're going to be on stage, and they're going to be ready to go, and they're going to deliver. Like any collegiate athlete, these law students have something to prove on the field of play. The battle starts in one day, and on top of all of the legal strategy, there's another major stress factor. These trials are held on Zoom, and this year, the second year of the pandemic, stakes are higher for mastering the technology. Yeah, last year it was old webcams, bad internet, bedrooms, and here we've got like really nice cameras. This is Bill Murray from South Dakota. 
Your Honor, a moment to sit, situate myself in the well of the courtroom. So this is us right now. Yeah. Present. Then we go to screen share. Already got our thing Permission pulled up. Publish. Permission publish. And we. I think they need to click through it instead of waiting. What have we got? We've got some lighting. We're going to be in the courtroom. It's almost set up for the competition. So I think the school has had some more time to prepare for it. You know, there's been a whole year of Zoom trials, so they've had time to think about it and the best way to go forward. Can we run through the motions once of like where we would be, motion and limine, and then open? Okay. I just don't know how, like how this is gonna switch in and out. Well, let's, let's run it quick. Braden, do you wanna go in there with this laptop? And then Rose, you're presiding. So now all of our teams will be using this setup for all the competitions and hopefully we're back in person next spring, but if not, we've got a very nice setup going forward. So I'll be giving the motion in lemonade. So I'm gonna be giving it from the Williamson room. Granted, obviously, so. State ready to proceed. Permission to prepare the well, your honor. Thank you, your honor. Nothing further. And then turn off my camera, maybe? And then turn off the camera. I would unplug this. And I'll do my direct. They'll do their cross. I'll be seated here. This video quality, right? This video quality right here, not the same as the video quality that we have in here. That's going to be too much of a difference. But if we have the setup in here so that we have that quality camera in here, I'm fine. And I will stop my bitching. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by oldest girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's equally as tense inside that hotel room in San Antonio. Okay, so right now we're setting up the witness rooms. So we have to set up the backdrops and the cameras and the microphones in the rooms of the team members who will be witnessing in this competition. Every little detail matters. The lights, the cameras, the backdrops, even the makeup and hand movements. If you can see it on Zoom, chances are you're going to be judged on it. So John has built this like contraption that's going to hold up the backdrops that another one of our classmates made. If something can go wrong, it will, so I'm like... I know, It's supposed to look like wood. It's like a wooden backdrop. It has the scales of justice in the middle of a little circle. Um, How would you describe it, John? So it's uh, a piece of vinyl that's wrapped around a frame built of PVC. Uh, Imprinted on there is wood paneling with the scales of justice kind of like superimposed on it. Kind of like you would see in the wood paneling in the back of like a courtroom or like an office space. Just gotta get all these wrinkles out. So it's gonna be behind well, right, the advocate. And so the advocate, if the advocate's right here, I'm gonna hang or put the uh, ring light up, which I can do actually Oh. behind. You see what nice. I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah. that ring light also has a spot on it yeah, for the yeah, camera to screw camera. in. Yep. Okay. We went through our defense case, uh, opening of defense, our crosses, then we did our direct examinations, and Andy closed on defense. And kind of got some more stylistic feedback. Like for my opening, uh, Coach Stewart told me that I can uh, bring it up a notch in my energy, maybe like sound a little more powerful, and also she wants me to move around more. I have to do less. (laughs) Coach was like, stop doing this with your hands. I was like, I just want to emphasize. It's like teetering on jazz hands because I'm like, there's this, there's that. Like, there's like explosions coming out of your hands. And then this is just like, you're thinking. We have a thought. It's like you're pulling like like a little band between your hands. Like you're exercising your forearms or something. We've gotten feedback. Like one of the judges commented on a girl's eyelashes and her hair. You have to be like very... Very natural, natural makeup. That's what they want. For sure, hair tucked back. Because last year, my coach, he was like, you have great hair, which is true, thank you. Um, but he was like, you, you need to like move it from your face. You don't need to have it blocking your, your face because it's distracting. And natural makeup, no heavy eyeshadows. Nails need to be professional. Nude, 
nothing crazy with the clothes, just like blue or black suits and then like a white top. They had to approve like our outfit. They even approved our other advocate's tie. He's had to send his tie colors because you can't have something too distracting. Because they know, like, the judges will be like, I hate that tie, I hate you. Like, it's over for us, so. We got to work on your demonstrative. We're not going to sleep tonight, are we? No. I'm texting my nail guy because he's like, next to You're not going to make it to your nail guy, bro. We're going right here. I love this man. (laughs) I do, though. The only thing left to do in South Dakota... I am a bundle of nerves. Besides the usual panicking, is to fuel up for the brutal days that lie ahead. I'm feeling pretty good. I think we're ready to go. I'm ready for some pasta tonight, and then then we're ready to roll. <laughs> it's La, La Cosa noodles, like La Cosa Nostra. Rose makes this like infamous pasta sauce. And you can, like, smell it through the school whenever she she brings it. So she made that sauce for a team dinner tonight before competition. And Bill calls them Locostra noodles. (laughs) I make homemade spaghetti sauce. It's one of my ways of decompressing and de-stressing. And I was also coring and blanching 179 pounds worth of tomatoes. And so I have fast-tracked some of that to make homemade spaghetti sauce. We're going to have a spaghetti dinner because it just felt appropriate with the fact pattern. It's kind of an insane time. Everything gets a little discombobulated. Everything's a little stressful. Everything's a little bit heightened, but it's also a lot of fun. But what I'm most looking forward to is regardless of if it's Bill or Bailey, whichever one of them first gets to say, you're on our moment to prepare the well, and then get up and stand and be in a courtroom and make an argument in front of people. That's what I'm looking forward to. I think it's a ton of fun just doing all of our run-throughs with the team. I've never competed, but it's fun watching a case come together and then it's fun listening to what someone else has done and then flipping it on them. I mean, it it sounds a little like mean, but it's fun to just tear something apart. I'm amped and here's why I'm amped guys. You're ready. You're absolutely ready for this. There is nobody who is going to be able to know this fact pattern as thoroughly as you know this fact pattern. There is nobody who has come back and put in the amount of hours outside of typical practice time that you guys have. Rely on that and rely on your knowledge. You guys are ready to go. Don't let the bells and whistles worry you. We're about to screw some people over big time, and I cannot wait to watch what happens. That's next time on Class Action. Class Action is a production of iHeartRadio and Sound Argument. Created, produced, written, and edited by Kevin Huffman and Lisa Gray. Executive producers are Taylor Shacoin and Katrina Norvell. Additional story production by Jennifer Swan, Kristen Cabrera, Jason Foster, and Wendy Nardi. Sound design, editing, and mixing by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. This episode had additional field production by Kristen Cabrera, Paul Ebsen, Alfredo De La Garza, and Malia Lukomsky. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 